This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a mixed bag on today's show. We're going to speak both with Cal Fire Captain Brent Stanglin about our uh, well about his experiences in Southern California last year in the wake of battling some uh, some wildfires as temperatures heat up and we uh, head towards summer that is going to be an issue especially in the fact that given the fact that we had so little rain after February here in California we will also take up uh, an issue that's uh, an, an issue affecting many countries that of what to do with refugees from various hot spots around the world We'll be speaking with Dr. Shamsher Sinha about what they're doing in the UK uh, with various programs they have there to deal with this problem. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is June 5th. It was on June 5th in 1783 that the Montgolfier brothers of France became the first men to make a successful ascent in a hot air balloon. Ballooning was the, was basically the beginning of aviation. And although it wasn't exactly a sport, it did have a spectator appeal. And competitions for height and distance maintained interest in the field long after it had lost its technological standing. And although it didn't involve a hot air balloon, you may have noticed that last week, uh, a man's effort to break the 40-year-old altitude record for skydiving, which was going to utilize a balloon, had to be postponed when the balloon took off without the parachutist. Aww. It was on June 5th in 1917 that U.S. draft boards announced that 9.5 million American men had been registered to serve in the armed forces. President Woodrow Wilson's urgent appeal for 70,000 volunteers to help end World War I in Europe started the buildup of the armed forces. The U.S. had to end its reliance on a volunteer corps and required men between ages of 21 and 31 to register. 72% of the American who fought in the war were draftees. On this date in 1933, the U.S. abandoned the gold standard, which backed its currency values with reserves of bullion. This reversed the policies put in place by President Grover Cleveland, who'd promised that this would rescue America from the severe economic depression back in 1893. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt called for everyone to return all of their gold coins so they could be melted down into bullion. Thankfully, my grandparents refused, and therefore, in a vault somewhere, I have the $20 gold eagle, which my grandpa earned on his first day as a dentist back in the 1920s. And uh, this, uh, this ban on holding a gold coinage was reversed uh, a few years back, and so now, now finally, it's legal. On, on June 5th, 1947, U.S. Secretary of State George C. Marshall outlined his plan to rebuild Europe in the aftermath of World War II. It was on June 5th, 1961, that laws that ban communist activity in the U.S., and require American workers to swear anti-communist oaths were upheld as legal by the United States Supreme Court. Four years later, in 1965, the U.S. State Department acknowledged for the first time that American troops were actually engaged in combat duty in Vietnam. 
On June 5th of 1967, the Six-Day War began in the Middle East. It would change political boundaries and alliances. It was initiated with an attack by the State of Israel. When, uh, during air raids, the Israeli Air Force bombed airfields in Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq. It destroyed 400 aircraft on the ground. Israel that moved east then to occupy the west bank of the Jordan River, the Golan Heights region area of Syria, and uh, pretty much the entire Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. The latter was eventually returned when uh, Israel and Egypt formalized a peace agreement uh, back in the 1970s. Sadly, it was 40 years ago today, June 5th, 1968, that Senator Robert Kennedy was assassinated just moments after winning the California presidential primary. Kennedy was perceived by many as the only person in America capable of uniting the people against the Vietnam War. With the Kennedy's murder, which followed that of Martin Luther King by two months, much of the wind was taken out of the sails of the anti-war movement in the United States, at least in terms of practical politics. And I must note that five years ago, uh, we took a trip down to Los Angeles to commemorate uh, the, what was then the 35th anniversary of RFK's assassination. We spoke at that time with investigator Bill Turner, ex-FBI man, who noted that at that time they were able to obtain several audio recordings of the assassination, which they took to sound labs, which revealed that there were at least 10 gunshots on the tape. The pistol used by Sirhan Sirhan in the shooting had only eight bullets. And Sirhan, who was in front of Kennedy, never got within two feet of him, since the fact that the autopsy proved that the fatal bullet was fired within an inch of Kennedy's head from the right rear, it uh, is rather evident that the actual assassin of Robert Kennedy uh, was never put on trial. And finally, on June 5th in 1981, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced that five gay men in Los Angeles had been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. They were later recognized as the first cases of acquired immune deficiency syndrome. I'd like to put a plug at this moment in for Randy Schultz, uh, the late Randy Schultz's excellent book, And the Band Played On. It uh, unveils the ugly truth of the fact that uh, the Reagan administration was not terribly interested in investigating a disease that appeared to kill gay people and IV drug abusers. It was a French research team that isolated the uh, HIV virus. And although uh, American researcher Robert Gallo is, uh, is by international treaty uh, recognized as a co-founder of the uh, HIV virus, the fact of the matter is he stole it from the French team. And uh, the powers that be politically decided that it would be good if it looked as though the Americans had made a real effort to find this virus. Anyway, kind of a bad day in history. Let's see if we can lighten the mood a bit, uh, starting with our quote of the day, which comes from Tadeusz Kowiecki, an evolutionary biologist at the University of Fribourg in Switzerland, who said, If it's so great to be smart, why have most animals remained dumb? This was in, uh, in light of the fact that it appears that learning may have an evolutionary cost. In experiments on flies, Kowiecki found that the insects that learned the fastest also died sooner than their more ignorant peers. And some other research, Kowiecki uh, 
basically uh, bred for increased lifespan among these fruit flies. And when they did, they found the long-lived flies were about 40% worse at learning than normal flies. Our clip of the day comes from Fox News host Bill O'Reilly. And you may have seen that 20-year-old clip from his time when he anchored Inside Edition. It uh, surfaced a few weeks back and became a web sensation. Says Bill O'Reilly on, uh, on the video. We'll do it live. F it. Do it live. I'll write it we'll do it live. Effing thing sucks. I hope all of you caught uh, the, the video that was made in the wake of that where they spliced in the, the comments of the supposed producer. Uh, pretty funny stuff. If you haven't seen it, go to humortimes.com. James Israel has it uh, posted there on his website. Our stat of the day, according to Foreign Policy magazine, South Asia has the world's highest concentration of slave labor, with more than 10 million people being forced to work for subsistence pay or less. Our joke line of the day comes from John Kenneth Galbraith, the famous economist who once said, meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, evidently a couple weeks back, it was a good week for Popeye, when a team by Ilya Raskin at Rutgers University extracted phytoectosteroids from spinach, which when they placed the liquid extract of these samples on cultured human muscle, it sped up growth by 20%. Research on rats noted that they were slightly stronger after a month of injections of the extract. New Scientist magazine noted that unfortunately you'd need to eat more than a kilogram of spinach every day to gain an equivalent amount of the steroid. And uh, evidently it was a bad week for philandering when it was announced uh, a few weeks back that a New York firm is marketing a new device that would let suspicious spouses or parents recover old text messages from cell phones. The $149 SIM card reader will even recover messages that have been deleted described as an invaluable feature in the modern marriage climate by Todd Morris, president of Brickhouse Security. Adding, quote, about half of spouses find something bad on their partner's phone. Said Morris, to avoid incriminating themselves, adulterers and teens should remove the SIM card from their cells and crush it or cut it up with a wire cutter. And it was an ugly week a couple of weeks back for contractual requirements when it was revealed that comedian, and that maybe should be in quotes, comedian Carrot Top said that uh, his contract politely asks that no one serve carrot cake at his engagements because, quote, it's still not funny. And while we agree that carrot cake is indeed not funny, we're wondering why that isn't appropriate for a guy like Carrot Top. All 
right, from the Only in America file, we have uh, the following. Vegetarian activists are protesting a plan to make Kentucky Fried Chicken the official picnic food of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Kentucky State Representative Charles Seiler said he's simply trying to honor the late Colonel Harlan Sanders, whose signature blend of herbs and spices made Kentucky world famous for tasty chicken. But decounting this was Bruce Friedrich of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, who said that honoring fried chicken implicitly endorses animal cruelty, and that while they're at it, lawmakers may as well change Kentucky State Bird from the Cardinal to the dead-beaked, crippled, scalded, diseased, dead chicken. Now, you know, I think calling Kentucky Fried Chicken diseased is just going just a little too far. I admit it may not be the best food stuff out there for you, and... Well, the thing is, you know, I'm old enough to actually remember when Kentucky Fried Chicken used to have meat on the bones. But uh, I shouldn't say that. I guess, I guess that really dates me. And uh, how about from the Only in Romania file, this item. 20 policemen in Timosada, Romania, are taking dance classes from two former members of their city's ballet company to help them direct traffic more effectively. The idea is to make the cops' signals cleaner and to help them catch the attention of drivers. Asked Soren Baltica, one of the instructors, why shouldn't policemen be pleasant and well-guided when they pull drivers over? Instead of having robots guide the traffic, we can have very graceful agents doing the same thing. All right, let's talk about some miscellaneous items. How about the fact that uh, Bob Barr, former conservative uh, Republican from the state of Georgia, somehow has managed to wheedle himself a nomination from the Libertarian Party to run as a third-party candidate. If you haven't been paying attention, uh, one thing that really gets the, inter the interest and collaboration of both the Democratic and Republican Party in this country is any effort to establish a viable third party. The Libertarian Party was infiltrated a long time ago, uh, apparently by Republican operatives, to render it, uh, uh, you know, useless. I knew something was up a few years back when I saw a list uh, courtesy of KROL about various candidates running for office across uh, California and noted that every libertarian candidate listed appeared to be anti-abortion. As someone who has registered as a libertarian for, I don't know, 12 years, uh, I, I just got to tell you, that ain't right. Of course, uh, Bob Barr is an interesting choice. He was uh, one of the uh, main thorns in the side of President Bill Clinton. He's one of the most uh, prominent uh, anti-abortion uh, members of Congress, despite the fact that when his wife needed to get one uh, some years back, well, he just drove her out and got her one. Uh, he was uh, in favor of uh, being, uh, you know, pro-choice for, for himself. Of course, the upside is, according to pundits, they think that Bob Barr's candidacy will attract votes primarily from John McCain. But I do wonder about this. Uh, Arch-Republican Pat Buchanan the man who more than anybody else perhaps is responsible for uh, Richard Nixon's resurgence in the 1960s when uh, Buchanan, as a 27-year-old uh, editorial writer in St. Louis, traveled to Nixon to tell him he thought he was the future of the nation. Pat Buchanan's effort in 2000 to run as the Reform Party candidate, which again was, I think, a Republican effort to take the Reform Party out and have it shot, uh, as you all recall, uh, did play into the hands of Jeb Bush with that butterfly ballot down in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. 
where in that one one district alone, that one county alone, uh, at least a couple thousand Al Gore votes apparently went to Pat Buchanan. That in the state which George Bush officially carried by 537 votes. So I don't know what exactly kind of skullduggery is going on here, but uh, but I smell a rat. Anyway, did anyone notice when George Bush went to Israel to uh, for the celebration of their 60th anniversary uh, a few weeks back? He praised Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert as an honest man a few days after he, uh, he was announced as the uh, object of a corruption probe related to uh, certain bribes uh, taken when he was... Uh, the once the mayor of Jerusalem. Yeah, Bush really was on a roll uh, on his visit over there. He did not visit Palestinian territories, and the only time he mentioned them at all on his trip was to say that Israel, when it was 120 years old, that would be in the year 2068, would border an independent Palestinian state. Bush offered no suggestions or notions on how, how that might be achieved, because, you know, let, let's face it, he may be the decider guy, but he's kind of short on ideas sometimes. In my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. In fact, does it strike any of you as odd that in this election year, nobody is holding Bush's feet to the fire on what the plan is in Iraq? How we will achieve, quote, victory, unquote, over there? What, what, what? What would constitute the definition of victory? Because once you've established that, then, uh, you know, wh- whatever strategy you're trying to employ to achieve it can sort of be weighed. But uh, when it's completely nebulous, well, then anything goes. And uh, by the way, it's worth repeating that Bush's 19% approval rate in a poll last February by the American Research Group is indeed the lowest ever recorded by a president. The previous record low was Harry Truman's February 1952 22% Gallup poll rating. By the way, just before resigning office, Richard Nixon's approval rating was 24%. Let's close with a word from our good pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to congratulate all you Democrats on the blessed coming of the end. Not the beginning of the end, nor the near middle of the end, but the very end end. The last inch of moldy hair and the bulbous pimple on the butt end of the end end. An end officially signaled by the arrival of Hillary Clinton at the gate of acceptance. A final state of grief, reached only after an unseemly amount of time, perched with her old man on the porch swing at the house of denial. And a couple of not-so-brief stays in the recreational vehicle of anger and depression, and then another couple of pitchers of lemonade back at the denial house. And don't forget that quickie in the vice presidential suite at the bargaining motel. But now the cloak of acceptance has been thrown over her reluctant shoulders by her own staff. Say what you will, the girl does not give up easily. She's like one of those Japanese soldiers who emerge from an island cave 30 years after the war is over, not knowing that she lost and having learned nothing. 
But now it's time to move on. Since clinching the nomination, Barack Obama's job is to unify the Democratic Party, a task to which I wish him luck. Unifying Democrats is like herding cats, like trying to nail lime jello with carrot shreds to a tree, like reconstituting the original ingredients of a bouillabaisse. The Dems are fond of calling themselves the party of the big tent. Yeah, right. You know what else they hold in big tents? Circuses. And as the new ringleader, Mr. Obama is going to need a really big chair and an awfully long whip. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Gerst. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for a talk with... Fire Captain Brent Stanglin about uh, California's upcoming wildfire season. Mm-hmm.